thank you for being the solid rock upon which we can stand and rely upon. All others may fail us, and there may be many who forsake us, but you are our solid rock upon whom we stand. May, may we cling to that truth today to realize that you have brought us out of the pit of sin. You have put a new song in our mouth today that we're able to sing praise and bring honor and glory to you. As we open up your word, we pray that you would teach us from it and that you would help us to understand it better and that you would cause us to leave here being closer to Jesus because of our time in worship today. And it's in his good name we pray. All of God's people said amen and amen. I had about determined to whittle half my sermon out, but after that I just added half to it. So... Uh, you can blame the choir for the long sermon today. <laughs> That's who we'll blame anyway. We have been looking, if you uh, have been with us for any amount of time over the last several weeks, uh, if you're new to our service, maybe your first time here, we have been spending some time looking through uh, the first part of the greatest sermon Jesus ever preached as it was recorded, although I don't know you can really rank sermons by Jesus as saying one is good and one's not so good. You can certainly critique mine, but I don't think Jesus, his messages need critique. But uh, this Sermon on the Mount is one that he's most famous for, at least, of, of sharing it. And we're looking at the very first part of that Sermon on the Mount, something uh, called the Beatitudes, the section that we know as the Beatitudes. And as we're, as we're looking through that, and, and two weeks from today, we'll wrap this series up. And, and as we have been looking at that, uh, we, we are understanding the, the truly kind of blessed life that we can live live in relationship with Jesus. In fact, the kind of life that Jesus has called us to live as being his followers, members of his kingdom. We tend to base our status as far as our being blessed or not blessed by what we have, the possessions that we accumulate or the things that we achieve. And yet Jesus is the one who told us in Luke's gospel, for example, that a man's life does not consist in what he possesses. That who we are is more important than what we have. Did you hear that? Who we are in God's economy and from God's perspective is much more important than the toys and trinkets that we have. And we see a very clear example of this in this Sermon on the Mount, especially in these Beatitudes, the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5. In those verses, the Bible tells us, and this is Jesus speaking, that those who are blessed are people who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for the sake of righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure, those who are are peacemakers, those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, these people, Jesus says, are blessed people. Yet you will not find any of those qualities trending on Twitter. Rarely, if ever, will someone hashtag their blessed life by highlighting these realities and these qualities. And yet for us today, we must remember that these beatitudes 
attitudes we are to be. That's an easy way to remember what's the purpose of a beatitude. It's an attitude I am to be, a beatitude, something I should embrace, something I should seek after as a follower of Jesus. And so before we even jump in today, since we have spent six Sundays, this is our seventh Sunday, looking at these beatitudes, I I think it behooves us to ask ourselves the question, are you more like Jesus today than you were a month ago? Have your attitudes changed? Has your behavior changed? If so, how? You see, you can come to church, you can hear the Word of God taught, you can hear the Word of God preached, you can sit in Bible studies, you can read the Bible on your own, you can pray on your own, but if the reality of Christ is never applied to your life, then you are nothing more than a spiritual sponge. You are just soaking things in, but you're never letting things come out of your life. Hearing these beatitudes is good, but God wants us to take the next step by living them out in our lives. And the beatitude that we focus on today is found in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, where Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons, and you can obviously insert, and daughters of God. Those who make it their aim to be a peacemaker will live a truly hashtag blessed life. Peace, what a word. Peace, what a concept that is often far from reality. I was looking this week at some people who are much smarter at life than I am, and I was reading some historical scholars who pointed out that the time that we have recorded human history is a little under 5,000 years. So that doesn't mean things weren't happening before then, but since history has been recorded, since it's been chiseled, or since it's been placed on a wall in a cave somewhere, or since it's been written down and tweeted, that over that time, little less than 5,000 years, and of that 5,000 years of recorded history, scattered throughout those 5,000 years, only 268 of those years have not known some kind of conflict. I use a calculator this week, and that let me know that less than 6% of recorded history has not recorded conflict. It's pretty safe to assume that at any day in our lifetimes, from the youngest to the oldest here today, that somewhere in the world, every day of our lives, there has been some kind of war, some kind of conflict, some kind of battle, some kind of fight. 
the lack of peace, and that's just in church, uh, the, the lack of peace among people is nothing new. You can trace it all the way back to the very beginning. Humanity has been at war with God ever since Adam and Eve sinned. And if you think that you have family conflict, you can trace that back to the very first family, those two brothers, Cain and Abel, the conflict grew so great between them, it eventually led to one brother killing the other, and we have been in a battle with each other ever since that day. In the midst of continuous conflict and incessant strife, Jesus speaks these words of blessing to those who are peacemakers. See, we tend to think of peace as the mere absence of conflict. Our world will paint us a picture of peace, but what we must remember is that the kind of peace Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9 is different than the kind of peace that the world is after. In fact, Jesus made this statement in John chapter 14 and verse 27, he said, peace I leave with you. My peace, Jesus said, I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. The peace that Jesus offers to us and calls us to make as peacemakers is not the absence of something bad. It is the presence of something good. I'm going to repeat that because that'd be a good thing to remember. However, you have to remember it. That the peace that Jesus offers us and the peace he calls us to make is not the absence of something bad. It's the presence of something good. It's based on the Old Testament word shalom, which was a, a word that was spoken that refers to a, a state of harmony, a state of, of wholeness, of tranquility that is intended to resonate in every relationship that we we have. The peace Jesus offers us is designed to set our relationship right with God and with others so that we as followers of Jesus, catch this, that we live with the same unity among each other as Jesus the Son has with God the Father. So that when people see, when the world sees the people of God, they will see the people of God reflecting the image of God and the relationship and the unity and the peace between the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit. We don't have time this morning, even if I did add to the sermon, to really flesh out what Jesus prays for us. But read John chapter 17 sometime, and you'll see Jesus praying that we will have this peace, that we will have this unity that he has called us to make. You see, when it comes to the biblical idea of peace, Every single person in this room, every person tuning into us online, every single person falls into one of three categories. Every person, when it comes to peace, 
And, and I want you to think about it because you are one of these. If you're not, that means you're not here, you're not listening. Because you are, if you're listening, you're one of these three. There are those who break peace. Now, I have pastored a few churches. I, I pastored for a few years. And in every church, I've pastored followers of Jesus who choose to want to break peace. Every church, even the church I'm pastoring now, and some of you are getting nervous that your name's about to show up. <laughs> Maybe it is. <laughs> there are some people who are peace breakers. These are our people who cause trouble and who cause division. They rock the boat with the hope of tipping it over and causing a splash and maybe even causing a drowning or two. The Bible, and I'm not really worried, uh, you know, I've said before, the, the nicest people I've ever met in my life were church people and the meanest people I've ever met in my life were church people, Okay. And when you, when you choose to be a peace breaker, I'm not so much concerned that you rattle my cage. My, my skin has grown somewhat thick over the years. I'm more concerned for you if you're a peace breaker because the Bible has some pretty strong words for the person who seeks to, to sow discord among the people of God. Proverbs chapter 6 says that these are six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination. And one of the things is one who sows discord among brothers. Or how about what Paul instructed the Romans where he said in Romans chapter 16, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such people, people who break peace, and you know who you are, people who break peace do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. They serve their own appetites. Now, you need to understand that you've got two teams. You've got Team Jesus and you've got Team Satan. And if you're not on Team Jesus, guess whose team you're on? Team Satan. I don't write the mail. I'm just delivering it, okay? Amen. And Paul clearly says such people do not serve our Lord Christ. They're not Team Jesus. So I want to ask you, are you a peace breaker? Do you bring people together or do you pull them apart? You know, we'll know who is a peace breaker by who's not here next week. That's how we know, okay? <laughs> and now I've just guilted all of you to be here next week. See how that works? This is, this is what they teach us after seminary class is over. So there are those who break peace, but there are also those who fake peace. Now, if this is one I struggle with. I'll just be honest with you. I, I'm one who, who's prone to fake peace. Some of us are, are so predisposed to have peace at any cost that in an effort to avoid conflict, we'll do whatever we can to avoid it, even if it means that we don't confront sin when sin needs to be confronted. So in an effort to avoid conflict, we think that we are promoting peace, but we're really just faking peace. We're not breaking it, but we are faking it as those tensions go underground only to come back up again because we don't deal with them. This is why Paul gives instruction to those who would fake peace by saying in Ephesians 4.25, therefore having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his 
neighbor, even if that truth hurts, speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So you can be a a peace breaker, you can be a a peace faker, but what Jesus calls us to be is to be a person who makes peace. There are those who break it, there are those who fake it, and there are those who make peace. It's a lot easier to break peace. Have you noticed, it's easy to be in a bad mood, it's just called life, right? It's easy to break peace. It's easier to fake peace than it is to make peace. But notice what Jesus called us to do. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. I find it interesting that he doesn't really, or doesn't at all, call us to be peacekeepers. But peacemakers... The idea behind making peace is that that word maker literally means to do or to create. Being a peacemaker involves an intentional, active effort to make peace because peace never happens by chance. Peace must be pursued until we have it and then guarded so we do not lose it. You are one of these three people. Jesus clearly calls us to be peacemakers. So if you're breaking peace or if you are faking peace, you are not living the blessed life that Jesus desires you to live. Being a peacemaker is not optional. It is a command. It is a calling from God to us. The God of peace calls us to make peace. This is why Paul gives very clear instruction in 1 Corinthians 7 15. He says, God has called you to peace. He says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15, to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts in to which indeed you were called in one body. Translation, if we make no attempt, if we make zero attempt at being a peacemaker, hear me, If we are not peacemakers, we are abandoning the clear call and command of God in our lives. And you know what the Bible calls that? Sin. So, our task is clear. We've got to pursue peacemaking. How? Glad you asked. Real quick, four things. The plan of a peacemaker Here's how you become a peacemaker. First, peacemaking involves you being at peace with God. The plan of a peacemaker is you begins with you being at peace with God. If you have not confessed your sin against God, if you have not repented of that sin because your sin makes you an enemy of God, according to Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3 and the whole book actually, your sin causes you to be an enemy of God. There is a relationship that has been broken. If you don't confess that sin, if you don't repent of that sin, placing your faith in the work of Jesus and uh, the work of Jesus on the cross and, and, and believing in his resurrection, the Bible says if you don't do that, you are in conflict with God. You see, there is no way that you can have the peace of God until you know the God of peace. 
You cannot show the peace of God unless you have first received the peace of God. So your first step in being a peacemaker this morning is to have a peace conference, a peace talk with the Prince of Peace where you place your sin at his feet and receive his salvation through faith. It's the first part of God's plan for a peacemaker. It involves you being at peace with God. Second, peacemaking involves helping others be at peace with God. You will not be a peacemaker unless you're first at peace with God, and then you accept the the calling of God upon your life to help others be at peace with God. Followers of Jesus, according to Scripture, we have been given something, and we'll read the verses in a second, called the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Do you know why we have to have a ministry and message of reconciliation? Because the peace is disturbed between man and God. And so when our relationship is brought to right standing with God, God gives us the ministry and message of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us. He made us at peace with God. He reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against against them, and God was entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We have been given the ministry, the message of reconciliation, therefore we are ambassadors of Christ, ambassadors of the Prince of Peace, God making his appeal through us. Part of God's plan for you to be a peacemaker is to share with those who are estranged from God how they can be at peace with God. So if we're going to be peacemakers, we first got to be at peace with God ourselves, and then we make it our task to help those who are estranged from God be at peace with God. But third... Let's start meddling, why don't we? Peacemaking involves living at peace with those around you. Let's get personal. This is one of the rare times I ask a question that I don't want you to answer because we're not Catholic. We don't need to get in confessional right now, okay? Do you need to make things right with someone? If you do and you don't, you're not a peacemaker. Is there someone you need to forgive? If there is and you refuse to forgive them, you cannot be a peacemaker. Do you need to ask forgiveness from someone? If there is and you don't, guess what? You can't be a peacemaker. It means you miss out on this blessed life God calls you to. I love the Bible, but I'm going to be honest. Can I be transparent with you for a second? I love the Bible, but I wish some verses weren't in there. This is one of them. Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, I don't mind that part. 
I don't even mind the part that says live peaceably. Had he put the period there, I'd be all right. But he said, for you and I, if possible, so far as it depends on you, well, that's a cankerous old person I'm trying, uh, on you, live peaceably with all. You know what the Greek word for all means? All. (laughs) I can live at peace with people that like me and who I like. I can live at peace with people who think the way I think, who believe the way I believe, who vote the way I vote, who tweet the way I tweet. I can live at peace with people who I'm like, but my calling is to live at peace with all as much as it depends not on them, but on me and my walk with Jesus to live peaceably with all. That doesn't mean we got to sit down and eat, uh, drink sweet tea and eat pie every day. We ain't got to do that. Although that could lead to some peace, I guess. But our calling is to live peaceably with all. You see, making peace is an active process. You are called to take the initiative and bring peace where peace has been broken. Following Jesus doesn't cost us anything to be saved, but following Jesus does require that you and I make some sacrifices, and this is mega peacemakers part of that. And fourth, Peacemaking involves helping others live at peace with each other. You're at peace with God, first and foremost. And then you're seeking to help others who are estranged from God for them to be at peace with God. That's what a peacemaker does. And that a peacemaker means that you live at peace with those around you. When there's conflict, when there's a breakdown in a relationship, you seek to, to restore it. But then you also see others who are in conflict, and a peacemaker tries to help them live at peace with each other. Ask yourself, and then answer this to yourself, the question, how can God use you to build bridges between people who are in conflict? That is a peacemaking ministry. You see, peace is hard to make. It's even harder to keep. It is usually much easier to walk away from a problem instead of getting involved in someone else's difficulty. Now, what I'm about to tell you goes contrary to most everything else that you'll ever hear But as far as our culture. But I I don't care what culture says. I'm concerned with what Christ has said. People will say, well, what I do is my business, and it's Not in the body of Christ, it's not. Not in the body of Jesus. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, your walk with Jesus has an impact on me, and my walk with Jesus has an impact on you because we're part of one family of God. Will you speak a good word when you hear gossip? Will you seek a solution when you come across an argument? When you come into a situation between two people and those waters are stirred, will you seek to calm the waters? So there's not a capsizing, there's not a relationship that gets ruined. It's being a peacemaker. Say, Pastor, why would I go to all that trouble? I mean, I get the idea that I need to be at peace with God, and, and I can even get the idea that I need to do my part to make sure people 
who are not at peace with God come to peace with God. But why get involved in the messy stuff of, of trying to live at peace with those around you and, and helping others live at peace with one another? Go back to the verse that Jesus spoke. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons, the daughters of God. That word called, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up quickly. That word called is a word that means someone who has been placed in a position. It's like someone who is, is placed in a chairmanship of a committee. They've been placed in a position of honor. And that word phrase, sons of God, children of God, refers to a family relationship in which the that the child takes the father's name and becomes the heir to all the father has. In other words, peacemakers bear a family resemblance and they reflect something of the heavenly father's character. Taken together, a peacemaker when promoting peace enters, when you are a peacemaker, you enter the very sphere of God's activity. When we pursue the plan of a peacemaker, we partner with God in spreading peace and we demonstrate to a watching world that we are sons and daughters of the king. If you want to resemble God, be a peacemaker. If you want to reflect the character and nature of God, be a peacemaker. What would happen if the people who claim they follow Jesus, whether they're in First Baptist Milton or, or Pine Terrace or Olivet or wherever, what would happen if the people who claim to follow Jesus would say, you know what, let's leave all the arguing, all the bickering, all that stuff to the world, and let's show the world what it means to be at peace with God and to be at peace with each other. If you're part of the family of God, guess what? You got eternity with me. Like it or not. And I've got eternity with you. And I know we'll be perfected there, and I know that there's a lot of things that'll be different there. But if we're going to live together forever in eternity, standing upon that solid rock, Jesus Christ, and we'll be there with a smile on our face and joy in our heart and peace in our relationships. Why not get ready and do it now? Amen. And reflect in our current living that which will be our future reality. I'll ask you this morning as we wrap up, very simply, do you have peace with God? That's the most important thing. Do you have peace with God? Has there been a time when you confessed your sin, repented of it, and asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, to ask him to break down that wall of hostility between you and him? If that has never occurred in your life, any attempts at peace that you make will only be surface level. You cannot facilitate peace in your life unless you first receive peace from Jesus. So if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, in just a second when I pray, would you right where you are pray? And as best you know how, as you pray, confess your sin to Jesus. Recognize that there's hostility there, that you're 
God because you're a sinner who has yet to ask Jesus to forgive you your sins and confess those sins to Jesus. If you've done that, if you think someone's talked to me about you this week, I promise they haven't. That's called the Holy Spirit zeroing in, doing what he does. Are you a peacemaker if you're a follower of Jesus? Have you done what is within your ability with the Spirit's help to live peaceably with all men? Is there someone that you need to call this week and apologize? Is there someone that you need to forgive? Do business with God today and leave here ready to be a peacemaker because blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the children of God. May the world see our peace and know our Father. Father, to you we pray today, whatever you're calling us to do, that we would simply say yes in Jesus' name. Amen.